want to look at a familiar story in the Gospel of Luke and take some things from that story that I believe God wants to highlight. So I've turned to Luke chapter 8. I'm going to cross-reference it with a story in Mark, which is the same story, uh, but uh, we're just going to look at Luke chapter 8 for now. And verse 41. The title of what I want to share with you this morning is, Our Faith is More Important Than Our Reputation. Our faith is more important than our reputation. And I think there's this whole spirit out there to to try and build a reputation, whether it be a reputation through uh, looking good uh, physically, through social media, through various things. Now, all these things are wonderful things and can be used for the propagation of the gospel. But if they're there to build a reputation for us instead of highlight Jesus, there's a problem. And I really believe that that God wants us to realize that just like our Lord and our Savior, we're to make ourselves of no reputation. I I found something interesting in life, that if you don't want to make yourself of no no reputation, somebody else will do it for you. (laughs) There'll be enough people that say stuff that bring you down or have a negative opinion of you to try and bring down your reputation. But if you make a decision, I'm not going to be of any reputation, those things can't touch you, can they? And our faith is more important than our reputation. And I want to look at two people in this scripture that really highlight this key principle of faith being more important than reputation. So let's look at verse 41. And behold, there came a a man named Jairus, I'm reading from the New King James Bible, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age. She was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged around him. Let's just stop there for a minute. Jairus was the leader of the synagogue. You know, the people... In that position, most of them didn't like Jesus very much. They were actually, most of those religious people were against Jesus. They were trying to kill Jesus. They were trying to catch him out. So this guy has got a reputation to maintain. But instead of maintaining that reputation, he finds himself at the feet of Jesus. Begging Jesus to intervene in his life. It's interesting, Jairus' name, if you look at it in the Hebrew, means light bearer. And this light bearer, which links in with the vision, we'll come to a bit later. This light bearer was suffering the worst thing a light bearer could suffer. His light was going out. His future, his legacy, his, his daughter, the apple of his eye, was, if you look at the Greek, was terminally ill and had been for a while. Nobody could do anything for this young lady, this young girl. And all the hopes this light bearer had for his beautiful daughter's future, hopes of what she would do in life, how she would be an amazing person, how she would perhaps be an amazing mother, amazing wife, amazing in whatever uh, service that God had for her. All those things were in the balance. You see, this man gave up his reputation because he was desperate for Jesus in his life. 
He was desperate for Jesus in his life and in his family's life. And he wasn't bothered what people thought of him. In this moment, those around him, those social circles that maybe had mingled in with his wife and his daughter in the good times, those people that, you know, smile a lot and invite you to parties, but when you're in a bad time like Job, suddenly they forget about you. When you read the book of Job, it's really interesting. When Job got back on his feet, his family came round to give him money, but he already had it because God had given him twice back. So you get this kind of situation where in moments of desperation, you find out who your real friends are. In moments when you've hit the wall, you find out who your real friends are. And can I tell you today, the friend that sticks closer than a brother, Jesus, will never let you down. He'll never let you down. Don't put your faith in men. Don't put your faith in a, a, a title. Put your faith in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. We did a whole outreach yesterday, and it was a great time. number of churches together, working in the town together. Just wonderful time. We had a, a band over from a, from a different place in the, in the nation, and uh, I was talking with them, and they were just a great band, Christian band, and... I said, where are you from? What church are you from? And they said, this particular church. And then I said, okay. And and the first thing they said to me is, our apostolic ministry is, bam, and gave a name. Who is yours? And I thought, well, if I want to play that game, then my apostolic ministry over me is Ian Russell. But you know Ian Russell's a father? He's a friend? And that's more important than a label and a title and a function. And I think sometimes we have this situation where we, we, we kind of grab all these different things that we think are reputation and will make us better than somebody else or our church better than some other church. You know what will make us? The only distinguishing mark that will make us is the presence of Jesus amongst us. Before, I'm not saying you don't need all those things. I'm just saying it's the presence of Jesus that marks us out. And he gave up his reputation to save us, didn't he? So it was his only daughter. And as Jairus is walking along with Jesus to go to the house where his daughter is terminally ill, probably the last stage of a terminal illness, there's there's an urgency here, isn't there? Something happens. Let's read on. Now a woman, verse 43, a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. Now at that point, just keep your place there, and we're going to go into Mark's Gospel and just read that little bit again. So Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 25. Keep your place in Luke because we're going to flip back there in a minute. So Mark chapter 5 verse 25. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. We notice Luke doesn't mention that because he was a doctor. Verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes... I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Go back to Luke chapter 8 
And we'll just read the account slightly differently here. Verse 43 again. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed, came from behind and touched the hem or the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press around you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. Have you noticed this lady? She didn't want to be seen. She didn't want the crowd to recognize who she was. And I I was meditating on this, and I thought, well, did she want to keep her reputation? And, And I know it says that because of her kind of condition, she was unclean, she shouldn't have been amongst people. But she was desirous to touch Jesus. And if anybody saw her touch Jesus in Jewish law, Jesus would have been unclean. So it wasn't that she was trying to keep her reputation. She was trying to keep Jesus' reputation. And that's why she kind of hid away. She, she, she knew that if she touched his garment, she would be healed. It says in Mark's Gospel, she said to herself, if I just touch the hem of his garment, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. If I just get to a place of intimacy with him, I'm going to be healed. You know, sometimes I've read this story and I've heard it preached and I kind of get the impression that this lady was an old lady, but she's not an old lady. That she was a young lady and perhaps in her teenage years she started with this problem which have meant that she was unmarriable. It was meant in society that she was an outcast and the most formative years of socialization and enjoying life she would have been kept separate from everybody else isolated. That is a desperate place to be, isn't it? Desperate place to be. And she gets to the place where she hears about Jesus and she says to herself, after 12 years of suffering, she says to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be healed. You know, it's good to know a revelation from the scripture because she was acting upon revelation from the Old Testament. Just keep in Luke chapter 8 and go to the book of Malachi. The last book in the Old Testament. In Luke chapter 1 verse 78, I think it is, Zechariah prophesies about Jesus and he describes Jesus as the day spring. And in Malachi chapter 4, we have another way of describing the day spring And it says this in verse 1, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, those who want to build a reputation, and all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, that is you who revere my authority and my identity, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. And literally the wings there is hem. It's the hem of his garment. 
So when she said, if I just touch the hem of his garment, he's the one that's going to arise with healing in his wings. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'm going to be healed. Because he's the son of righteousness. He's the day spring. He's the deliverer. He's the Messiah. And I can put my faith in him. And I can be healed. It's so amazing that sometimes we kind of get off track and and think we don't need to understand the Scripture. But the more that the Lord gives us understanding of the Scripture, the more we have solid ground to stand on and to hear from His Spirit and to act in faith. Just like this wonderful woman who did that this day. And it says about her, go back to Luke chapter 8, it says about her that She was trying to escape before Jesus noticed her. And it says that power went out of Jesus. For the Star Wars fans in the the room, the word power there is force. Force went out from him. And he healed her. Jesus, the original Jedi. Amen. Sorry, that's not very theological, but I don't care. I love it. So force went out from him. This force was not to harm, but it was to heal. And this lady immediately knew, even in a physical body, that she had been healed. She'd already pronounced the healing. What did Jesus say to her? But Jesus, is verse, in verse 46, But Jesus said, Somebody touch me, for I perceive that force okay, was going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him. She declared in, to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. So what you've just read of the testimony of this lady and what she'd been through, she now goes into much detail in this point about her testimony. And Jesus is stood there listening to her testimony. Last time I was here a few weeks ago, my son's eyes all reacted in the allergic reaction and... Bless him, Jeff rushed us to the chemist to pick up some Pyroton and things like that. And on the way, I just had the privilege of hearing your testimony. Absolute privilege. And at the moment when you're concerned about my son and concerned about missing the meeting and letting Mark and Kathy down, being here but not being here, suddenly I'm hearing this testimony and it's just such a blessing. And this lady gave her testimony. I wonder if in the the crowd it it helped other people come to faith in Christ when they were maybe teetering on the edge. But testimony is a powerful thing. But for Jairus, he wasn't particularly interested in hearing this lady's long-winded testimony today because he was thinking about his child at home passing away. And I wonder if this lady went on a bit too long because she was so excited about what happened to her. But what does Jairus do? He doesn't say, Lady, do you realize who I am? I'm the leader of the synagogue. And Jesus, this teacher, is coming to my house to to help my daughter. That's more important than your testimony. Shut up and let us get on. He doesn't say any of that, does he? He just stands with Jesus and he listens to this testimony. He doesn't use his reputation to get ahead. He's got complete faith that in Jesus is the answer to his problem. Verse 49, 
while he was, sorry, verse 48. And Jesus said to the lady, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. What was he referring to when he says your faith has made you well? You know, Jesus knows everything. He knows that she's already believed on the basis of the Old Testament scripture, that when she touches the hem of his garment, she's been healed. He already knows power force has gone out from him. So he knows that she's been healed, and she knows that faith has been a part of that process. Faith is not shouting loudest. The word faith in the Greek literally means this, to yield to God. It's the exact opposite of being proud. It's the exact opposite of building a reputation. It's saying, I'm yielding all my reputation, all my pride, all my way of doing things. I'm yielding that to the Messiah, to Jesus, the Deliverer. And I'm going to make sure that I put my trust in Him. Confidence comes with faith, but faith doesn't produce arrogance. Faith produces confidence. While He was still speaking, verse 49 Someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher. Man, they've got a real good bedside manner, haven't they? (laughs) Verse 50, But when Jesus heard it, he answered him and said, Don't be afraid. Just believe. She'll be made well. Have you noticed he says, before he says believe, he says don't be afraid. You see, fear contaminates faith. That's why in the Bible it says more than 365 times, do not fear. Because fear contaminates faith. And you know, we sang earlier this morning about grace. And I want to say what what grace is. And Jesus is showing grace in this account to these two people. Much grace. Grace is God's desire to treat us as though sin never existed. You could say indirectly these sicknesses and these awful things that are happening to these two people are the result of the fall, aren't they? But grace comes in and wants to treat us as though the fall never existed. Isn't that amazing? And that's how Jesus ministered. You know, when we look at people and we minister to people and we befriend people, we must see them. As though sin never existed. We must not look for their faults. We must look for what Jesus sees in them. And you know the only way we can start to do that. Is by receiving what Jesus says about us. Because I tell you we are usually a lot harder on ourselves than we are anybody else. But when we start to understand how much the Father loves us. When we start to understand that the only reputation we need. The only tick mark we require has already been given to us we're already accepted by the father then we can start to do what he's called us to do we're going to look at that briefly as we go on while he was still speaking this person came and jesus says you know don't be afraid jairus just believe so jairus said nothing in verse 51 when he came into the house he permitted no one to go in except peter james and john the father and mother of the girl It's interesting he asked Peter, James, and John to go in because Peter here represents the rock or the stone of the law. James' name means supplanter and John's name means grace. So the only thing that Jesus allowed into this room was not the law, but really the law being supplanted by grace and that's what was in the room, grace. 
and the father and the mother, because they're always going to give grace to the child, aren't they? But it's interesting, it says in verse 52, now all wept and mourned for her. So you've got all these professional wailers outside, wailing, crying. That woke you up, didn't it? See, I'm a professional mourner. I can make some money off that. Anyway, so all these professional mourners. And Jesus says, do not weep. She's not dead, but she's sleeping. And they ridiculed him. The Bible says they laughed at him. Suddenly, one, one minute they're weeping, the next minute they're laughing their heads off. There's a bit of unreality and superficiality going on here, isn't there? This, this girl's lying in the throes of death. They're weeping and suddenly laughing at Jesus when he's the answer. But Jesus, because he made himself of no reputation, he wasn't interested when people ridiculed him. He didn't take it to heart when people thought he was disingenuous. Because that's what they would have thought he was. You're disingenuous. You're saying she's asleep and she's dead. That's disingenuous. You think of all the things that Jesus was possibly called because he moved in faith instead of unbelief. Listen to what Jesus did as well. Verse 54. And Jesus put them all outside. That does not describe what the Greek says there. Jesus kicked them out of the room physically he wasn't a people pleaser he wasn't looking for a nine out of ten for his preaching ministry or his healing ministry he knew he had to get these guys out of the room these wailers these complainers these people who'd come for a bit of entertainment whatever they'd come for get them out because they're going to change the environment i want an environment of grace and faith in this place and not any other kind of environment so get them out that's harsh jesus yeah well he's a good pastor okay But he put them all outside and took her by the hand and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately. And he commanded that she be given something to eat. Oh, Jesus, hallelujah. Verse 56, And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Have you noticed that in the Gospels? Jesus says that quite a few times. Don't tell anybody. I've heard one of the most stupid explanations for that, that Jesus was was using reverse psychology. So he was saying, don't tell, so they would tell. What a load of garbage. Jesus said that at specific... Sometimes he said, go and tell everybody, didn't he? He used it at specific times because I believe he said that because he was on a mission and he wanted to be able to go into places without being mobbed and he wanted to be able to speak to certain people. And when you read the rest of the gospel, certain individuals without being mobbed. He did, let me put it this way, he didn't want to be the big miracle minister with all the acolyte. He wanted to do what God had told him to do. And he wanted to be able to, be able to not be so famous that he could actually touch the one that God wanted him to touch. So in certain places, he said, don't, don't tell anybody. I've got something else to do. If you tell somebody, and we know what happened in the Gospels, even when he said, don't tell, they told, and suddenly he couldn't get in the town. I wonder if somebody missed out because of that. But Jesus didn't do it for reverse psychology. He did it because he wasn't interested in building a reputation. He was interested in doing what his father had told him to do. Isn't that awesome? I want to finish by going into chapter 9 
just after these two events happen. It says in verse 1 of chapter 9, Then Jesus called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So I'm reading this and I'm thinking, why did he do it that, at that point? At that particular point, why did he call the twelve and ask them to tell them, commission them to go out at the same time. Well, have you noticed in what we've read, this woman had an issue of blood for 12 years. Have you noticed that the little girl was 12 years old? And he had 12 disciples. The, the number 12 in the Bible stands for completion. It's a picture of God's people complete. It's a picture of the church. It's a picture of God's government. And, and you see in the, the story of the woman with the issue of blood... This woman, out of intimacy with Jesus, as she touched him, instead of being fruitless, she became fruitful again. And God is saying to his church, I believe in this hour, please don't be caught on lesser pursuits. Be intimate with me again so you can be fruitful again. So I can heal you up. So I can stop what the enemy has done in your life. And I can make a brand new start. What did he say to the lady? Go in peace. He wants his people to go in peace. What does peace mean? Nothing missing. Nothing broken. Every bit put back together. That's restoration. That's shalom. God wants his people in peace. He wants his people fruitful. And he's calling us as his people back to intimacy. Back to touch Jesus so force can go out from him. What about the little girl? Didn't Jesus say she's only sleeping? When you look at that word sleeping that he used, it was a metaphor. And he's basically saying, she's not dead, she's just indifferent to her salvation. She's indifferent to the one who is in the room who will save her. And when she hears the voice of the one who saves her, she comes alive again. And I really believe in this hour, God wants the church to be a prophetic church again and hear his voice and come alive again. Because I believe for this little girl, light came back to Jairus' house at that moment. And the man in which the light had gone out became the light bearer. And as we saw in the vision... The snake, the authority of that snake left that house. And that little girl became the promise of the future. And the church is supposed to be the promise of God to the world. The church is supposed to be the place where people can come in and not fall asleep, but be awakened unto God. To wake up to who they really are. In this house, we are real. But... We also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we we love. love.